Our text today, our last text from the letter to the church in Rome is from Romans chapter 16, Romans 16, starting with verse 17. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of grace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we are just about to the end of this marathon sermon series, and like I said, next week is our last week in it, but this week is our last week in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Now, as a reminder, Paul is writing to several small house churches scattered throughout the city of Rome who have maybe little to no real connection with each other. And Paul is noting that there's lots of different different teachings happening in the different gatherings of house churches. Now, we've heard the last several months about what some of those differences in teaching are. Just to remind you, they include the question of how are we being justified? Is it by our actions or is it by the actions of Christ? And Paul says it's the action of Christ. To the question of who are the children of Abraham? Is it those who are born by blood and ancestry or those who are connected to Abraham through faith? And Paul says it's those who by faith are connected to the promises of God that are considered children of Abraham. Well, what about the purpose of the law? Is the purpose of the law to live and obey and be safe or is the purpose of the law to show us a way of loving God and one another. And Paul says, well, it's impossible for us to be saved by the law, but through the law we're condemned. But the law instead shows us how to live in such a way where we can love God and one another. And then finally, how are we made right? How are we considered righteous? By our deeds or by faith? And Paul says it is by faith in the right promise of God to forgive and redeem, restore It is through faith that we are considered righteous, that our faith is counted to us as righteousness. And in the midst of all of these different teachings, Paul says this. He writes in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. Watch out and avoid. Not engage in debates or defend the truth as if God, the creator of everything, needs puny little us to defend Him. No, our job is not to defend, but just to witness and testify to the truth that we know, to let our attitudes, our actions, and our words be a testimony to the truth 
of the victorious voice of Christ. Now, the only way to discern that victorious voice of God is to constantly be in God's Word deeply and daily. Because today we have a lot of the same troubles as the church in Rome, right? We have lots of voices speaking to us, giving us answers for the problems that life has. And, and obviously, there's all kinds of secular answers that the world dumps onto us for, for how to make things better in this world. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the church and different ideas for what is right within the church. And there are a lot of different Christian voices in this world. How do we know who to listen to? And it makes it more difficult because in our broken humanity, we have itchy ears, what Paul calls, ears that just itch to hear what we want to hear. And so we tend to gravitate towards those who tell us what we want more and more of. And we find ourselves in echo chambers that just repeat the same thing over and over again, reinforcing what it is that we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. It's a good thing to think about. A society uses this term woke a lot. Right? And just so that we have a working definition of that for the purpose of today's message, uh, woke is to be aware of and actively attentive to important society facts and issues. Which if you leave the definition there, that's not a bad thing, right? That's something that we should all be attuned to. We want to know what's going on in the world, what are important issues that we're facing in society. Those are important things to do, to be attuned to. But where we have a problem is when, in order to do so, we start to whittle away at the truth of God. When we start to massage and affect God's Word to match what we want to hear in today's society. And when we do that, we strip away the power of the law to point out where we fall short and our need for God's renewal and grace, and we strip away the power of God's gospel to heal and restore. And see, we don't need a woke message in our life. We need God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, to awaken our hearts by the power of life in Christ. See, we need to hear His voice of victory. We need to hear His law clearly proclaimed in our lives so that when we turn in a wrong direction, we quickly know it so that we can turn back in repentance and receive His renewal we need to hear His Word clearly and accurately so the gospel can wash over us with renewal and life and vibrancy. And in face of these obstacles and, and different teachings, Paul says, watch out and avoid. So our approach to these things should be similar to those of us who have ever driven north of Georgia. If you are a transplant into Florida, you understand that sometimes in some places, the world freezes. And then sometimes after the freeze, it thaws and gets hot and expands. And so you have roads that constantly expand and contract, which causes potholes. Here we have sinkholes, also dangerous. There are potholes. And you have to be aware of those as you navigate the roads, because if you don't and you go headlong into a pothole, you could damage your car, get into an accident, and all kinds of bad things happen. But it's not as if you just go, well, I'm just going to stay home. 
I will avoid the potholes by staying home. I will not do anything. I will keep my car safe in the garage, and I will go nowhere, and I will miss all the potholes. It would be ridiculous. You have to go drive to get to where you need to go, but you're aware of, you watch for the potholes, and you avoid them. You navigate around them, and such is how we should be in our walk in response to those who cause divisions and create obstacles. It's not that we just completely stay away from them entirely, but we're aware of them, and we navigate our life around them. We don't engage in them. We don't fix them. We don't debate with them. We interact with them with love and care and compassion, but instead we just stay true to our course, headed to where we're headed, listening to the true voice of victory of God, living our life in such a way that is a witness to that truth. And it is this voice of victory that was spoken that Paul loves to dig into. And he says this in verse 20, and I love this. This is my favorite verse in this section of Scripture. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The your here is plural. So it's not as if he is telling you directly, me directly, us individually, you will be victorious over Satan. What he's saying is you all, y'all together as a church, will stand victorious over the enemy. The gates of hell will not be able to be victorious over you. You will share in the victory of Christ. And it's this God of peace that does this. This is an interesting choice of words for Paul. He says, the God of peace will soon crush. How does a God of peace crush? Because he is a God who brings peace to you, the Prince of Peace, who brings peace to you in your relationship with your Father, He does so in a not-so-peaceful way. He does through the pain and torture of the cross. By taking the punishment that we deserve, He absorbs Himself and absorbs it in full so there's no more punishment ever for sin for those who love Jesus and who receive Him by faith. See, God brings you into a peaceful relationship with the Father through Jesus' suffering and death. And He does this soon. That word soon is beautiful to those of us who are struggling today, right? Because it recalls that Jesus is soon coming. He's coming back again. Right? This is not as good as life gets, folks. It gets so much better. When He comes back and restores His kingdom exactly how life is supposed to be, It's coming soon. And that word crush is so interesting. It brings me back to Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall, after Adam and Eve fail God, and God walks in into the scene with Adam and Eve and the Satan serpent snake, and God shares judgment on those. And to the serpent, he says, "There there will be a child born to this woman, And you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And we come to find out later in Scripture that 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 forecast was for Jesus, that Jesus would be that Satan crusher. That would happen on the cross. As he was taking on the weight and punishment of our sin, Jesus was grinding to a pulp the power and life of the enemy. And this victory, Paul says, 
He spells it out in the, in the letter to the Romans. He says, here is how that victory comes across into your life. You are made right. Because this law of God, it shows us the best life possible on this side of heaven. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That our faith is counted to us, is considered to us to be righteousness. That we sinners are justified not by our actions, but by repentance and God's forgiveness. That we are brought into God's family, imported in and adopted to be full sons and daughters of God Most High, and that nothing, nothing in heaven or earth can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And with that victory, we live our lives in such a way that we can say that, like Paul, I consider that the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, which allows us to even rejoice in our sufferings today. And Paul says he shares that victory with us. See, God's Word is more accessible to us today than ever before in the history of the world. During Paul's time, the Word of God was, it was sufficient access. But today we have so much more access. There's, there's so many more languages that God's Word has been translated into. It's, it's in our phones, in our pockets. God's Word is everywhere now. But unfortunately, just because God's Word is everywhere doesn't mean it's being used everywhere. Think about the Bible in your home. Can you remember the last time you opened it? Was it just sitting collecting dust. Think about all those pages of promises inside that have gone unturned. Think about all the proclamations of grace and life and joy that exist in those pages that haven't been proclaimed because you haven't read them. It's been my prayer this week for myself and for each of you that we grow in our hunger for more and more of God's Word. I want to pray right now for, for all of us. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we pray that in our hearts you would grow in us more and more of a hunger for you, for your word, for the promises inside, for the voice of victory contained in those pages. Grow in us that hunger more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that's not the end of the sermon. That's just an important prayer. <laughs> We need that hunger to grow in all of us, right? To remember constantly that Satan suffers defeat. We need to remember that, that each time somebody puts their faith in Jesus, receives his righteousness, and escapes the fires of hell, Satan has been defeated. Every time a Christian obeys their father willingly, Satan is defeated. Every time God's people gather together in worship and in unity, just like we are right now, Satan is defeated. Every time someone comes to the waters of baptism, Every time a word of absolution is proclaimed, every time we will, as we will in just moments, receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated. That victory has been, is now, and will be forever certain. The victory is ours. 
and it's ours for eternity, right? There's, there's no expiration date to this gift. We have it forever and ever. Here's what Paul says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus is able to strengthen you, is able, is kind of weak. The, the English translation of this is, is less than inspiring to me. Fortunately, if you go into the Greek and dig into what the Greek word for is able, is the exact same word that we use in English for the word dynamite. Think of that power that's involved with that word dynamite. God has the dynamite power to restore your life. God has the dynamite power to bring you into an eternal life with God the Father in eternity. God is able to, with His dynamite power of the gospel, to radically change your life. And his victory is not just ours for eternity, but we enjoy it here and now today. See, the gospel is the dynamite power of God to give us hope in our life today. The gospel is the dynamite power to conform no longer to the world our lives, but to transform our lives into the image of Christ, to give us hope and power today. Now, because it's fall, and because I love the Kansas State Wildcats, college football, my mind couldn't help but go this direction. You know, sometimes there's the, the odd occurrence that I can watch my beloved Wildcats play live, right? And when you watch a sporting event live, or I shouldn't say when you, when I watch a sporting event live, my hopes and dreams are completely in the hands of somebody on TV. Right? And so every time a wildcat fumbles or uh, misses a play or misses a tackle or, or does something horrible, my hopes are just dashed right in front of me. But every time we score or do something amazing on defense, my, my heart is exuberant with joy. And so the entire game takes years off my life, right? Because I'm constantly either in exultation or humiliation, depending on how the game is going at that particular moment. But if for some reason work takes me away or an appointment takes me away or time with friends or family take me away from watching the game live, then I watch it recorded which usually means my dad and his brothers, who are also all Kansas State Wildcat fans, have texted and let me know the end of the game, which I don't mind, because that means if they lost, I'm not going to invest the time. <laughs> I don't need to watch that. But if they won, if I know the outcome of the game, now I can watch the game with joy. And that joy just increases, like the more K-State goes down and is behind, like the more I have joy. Like, I cannot wait to see the comeback, right? I can't wait to see what happens to get to the end where I know is victorious. My friends, I fear that sometimes we live life as if we're watching it live and don't know the ending. That when we live this life and something horrible happens, we get bad news from the doctor, we, we lose a family member or a loved one, we lose a job, we, we, we have experienced loss or pain or fear or trial or doubt, and our hopes are just dashed, and our hearts are broken. But we know the end. 
We know the end, and so we can encounter even the worst that this life has to throw at us. We can incur that with joy and rejoicing because we know that we win in the end. We know the end of this story is amazing. And I can't wait to see how God is going to use this struggle, this trial, this problem to glorify Him, to bring me good, to do something amazing with it. That's how we live in victory today. We know the end of the story. And so we have hope today. And we receive power from that hope that never disappoints. And may that bring you a peace that passes all understanding. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. Would you pray with me, please? This time, this is the end of the sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God who brings victory into our lives. There are so many areas in life where we hurt, where we struggle, where we fail. Remind us constantly, God, that victory is ours through you, that you are victorious now and forever, and you share that with us even now today. Help us live life, God, knowing the end ends well. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen. Now, it is our desire that you continue to grow, right? Don't just let the sermons on Sunday be your big feast of the week with God. Let it be an appetizer that causes you to dig into God's Word more and more. And that same line of thinking, we have this weekly awakening question. Don't let this weekly awakening question be just a question that you think about and, and consider your faith conversations for the week over. But use this question you see on the screen today. How does Christ's victory give you hope and power for today's struggle? Use this question as the starting off point for your faith conversations throughout the week with the people that you come in contact with, the, the witness that you share with the world.